This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Hey guys, thanks for listening in to another episode of Thoughts and Talks with Tishnam. These episodes are available on Spotify and Apple and Google Podcasts. Today my guest will be talking about mental health during lockdown. One in five New Zealanders will experience some degree of mental health in their life. And it's interesting to question if this number increased after lockdown or stayed the same. Joining me today is clinical psychologist Dr. Kumari Fernandu Valentine, who will talk about her experience and knowledge dealing with men- mental health rates in New Zealand. Hi, Kumari. Hi, Tishni. Thank you for joining me. Thank you me. so much for having me here. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, so, first of all, Kumari, what is the difference between a clinical psychologist and just a psychologist? That's. Um it, it has to do with the training. Mm-hmm. So in New Zealand, um, clinical psychology is a separate qualification that um, that people do as a postgraduate degree. So somebody can be a general psychologist, that is, they have a psychology uh, degree, a base degree, generally um, in New Zealand, some form of postgraduate degree, a master's or a PhD, and then in New Zealand, you will have had to have done a specified number of hours of training. Um, in contrast, when you enter a clinical psychology program offered through six universities in New Zealand, you do that training, you do those hours and additional papers um, as part of the postgraduate um, diploma in clinical psychology. And did you go to University of Otago? Yes, I did. Oh, cool. <laughs> the so best university it in is, New Zealand. It is. <laughs> And how long have you worked as a clinical psychologist for? I take I make it approximately fourteen years. Mm, yeah. Long time, you know, fourteen. And years. do you like it, or I love is it. it? Is it emotionally draining, though? Just hearing other people's problems. Mm, I think that it's quite a privilege mm-hmm. to hear um, what people are experiencing, and also the courage that it takes people to actually come. And say that something is a problem because mm. I think many of us grow up kind of feeling that we have to um, toughen up yeah. or keep things in secret. And so it's quite a courageous step um, for people to be talking about things that make them feel very vulnerable or scared or um, trapped mm. and to be open to the idea of change. Mm. So actually, I find my work very invigorating and I'm very hope-filled. Yeah. And what do you specialize in? Um, So these days, uh, most of my work consists of working um, alongside people who have experienced um, some form of trauma, especially sexual trauma. Uh, So people have experienced some form of um, uh, assault or uh, sexual abuse, whether as a young person or later in life. And then are dealing with the with the effects of that. Mm-hmm. And you have your own practice. Where yeah. do you work? Um, so these days I travel <laughs> quite a bit. Mm-hmm. My own office, where I see um, most people, is um, here in town. Actually, mm-hmm. just around the corner. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what is it called? 
Uh, so I just uh, go by my name because it's easier for people Dr. to find. Dr. Kamari? Yes. Yeah. And you said you do contract work for work for um, ACC? That's right. So most of my work these days is by contract to ACC, and mm-hmm. I do a lot of assessments. Um, I, I have some people who I see for treatment mm-hmm. um, on a regular basis, um, but most of my work is actually – Uh, more time limited and is doing an assessment of how somebody is Mm -hmm. awesome and yeah let's talk about COVID questions now (laughs) Um, during level two no level three and lockdown period how did you work Um, so I was lucky to be able to work by zoom um, or other kind of platforms um, or even by uh, that that allowed me to talk remotely to people, mm-hmm. um, either uh, video conferencing software or <laughs> the old-fashioned telephone um, in order to see people or talk with people, even if it wasn't in the traditional face-to-face way. Yeah. Was it challenging? It is. Yeah. Um, I had had experience of being of doing that when I was in Australia right. and taught by distance, mm-hmm. um, which requires a specific skill set. And also, um, while in Australia, I had had clients in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this wasn't a foreign um, platform for me. But it does require a slightly different skill set because when we're in person, like you and I are, yeah. um, there's just so much information that yeah. is readily available to us. Yeah. And when, um, never mind all the glitches that can happen yeah. with Zoom, but when when people aren't there in person, I think it takes more effort to just really pay attention mm. and to hear that change in tone of voice and to um, understand exactly how the person is and this is separate of any other issues like is this person actually um able to talk in private yeah um is uh is this person um uh, going to have any intrusions or Mm -hmm. um are they in a safe safe place yeah Yeah. and does the connection work yeah yeah will the signal drop out yeah (laughs) and what did you notice about people um, during the lockdown and after the lockdown, like anxiety and everything. Right. So um, I'm not sure of what the actual data looks like. Mm-hmm. I know that going into lockdown, mm-hmm. various professional bodies, including my own, had concerns, um, quite um, significant concerns about what people's mental health would be like, and various resources were set up. Um, And we were going into this period with a whole lot of uncertainty and the knowledge about isolation and distance, um, which are typically not beneficial for people's mental health. Mm -hmm. It was also a time of stress where people were worried about getting um, COVID, becoming ill, family Mm -hmm. members getting ill, financial stress, all the conditions that are conducive to um, Optimal mental health. Yeah. Um, so what I noticed within my own small practice, though, was that the first two weeks of lockdown for the clients that I work with were surprisingly um, a relief. Mm-hmm. So the clients I typically work with, um, 
are struggling to be out in public, to do all those things, feeling the weight of people's expectations, um, feeling like they have to put on a front and manage their anxiety in day-to-day life. And so, uh, um, to my surprise, Mm -hmm. I guess, those first two weeks of having um, some time out, some allowed time out, without having to put on that face, without having to turn up, were actually a relief yeah, for many people that I work with, right. and then, um, and I also think that our country's response was remarkably well handled, and there were very clear guidelines about what um, was involved in lockdown and what to do, and um, there were also easy ways to access things that people needed. Mm. However, I think there were stresses in the background. For example, even shopping for groceries mm. or. Um, uh, making appointments with the doctor about routine things. And so what I noticed in week three was um, that people started um, struggling, becoming more anxious, feeling really isolated, feeling very down um, and wondering when things would come to an end. And what about the aftermath, like people have PTSD? I I don't... know about PTSD specific to COVID rather I think that um, I think that there were people had enjoyed benefits of lockdown and got to realize some some really important things for example the the benefit of slowing down Mm. Um, but people also had significant stresses which were significant like uh, job losses Mm. um, and concerns about their own health um, and maybe matters that could not be attended to, like surgery, for example, um, still being an issue. And so I think after lockdown, there were very many things to sort uh, for many people. And the idea of, uh, I heard a lot about people feeling like we're returning back to normal when actually life is far from normal. Even though within New Zealand we're so lucky to have life appear reasonably normal, um, the situation overseas and Mm. people's own situation of job loss, I think, mean that for many people it wasn't actually life back to how it had been pre-COVID. So I think there was a burden, if you like, that people were carrying and then I think many people were thrown by the second period of, um, uh, you, you know, the second return to mm. um, level two, or did we go back to level three? You know, that second yeah. period. Yeah. 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 And I think that kind of sense of, oh, it's not mm. quite how we thought, really through people. And do you yeah. think, like, subconsciously we're, now we're good, but subconsciously we're so scared that another wave would come? I would would completely believe that because Mm. the situation overseas is quite dire Mm, mm. Um, and we are in this wonderful um, bubble bubble in New Zealand Mm. Um, but but even within our precious bubble we get outbreaks that remind us that we are in the middle of a pandemic. And what do you think are the long-term um, effects for us going forward when everything ends. 
Well, hopefully, yes. Mm. Um, it's very difficult to say because New Zealand's position is so different mm-hmm. than than the position of many countries. Um, I think there will be so much individual variation, and some of that uh, will have to do with the, the, the practical realities, the practical realities of was your job affected? Were you able to work? Uh, was your housing and the quality of your housing affected? And those practical things have huge implications for mental health. Then I think at another level, this awareness of germs and vulnerability Mm. and uh, illness and how uh, precarious life is can have both positive and negative effects. On the one hand, it can make people, um, and I think the sentiment was expressed during lockdown, that sense of how precious it is, and how valuable this life is, and we can choose how we spend this life. But the flip side of that is also an increased anxiety about Mm. um, how fragile life is. Talking about germs and illnesses, (laughs) (laughs) what do you think are some long-term effects for frontline workers, health workers? Mm. Um. This, again, is difficult because the effects on people are very much mediated Mm -hmm. by the context they're in. Mm -hmm. So in an environment that is supportive, that, for example, has good supportive peer relationships, supervision, um, that acknowledges what people are doing, um, that allows for good breaks, um, and where there's a a culture of recognizing what is happening, um, I would expect good outcomes but where there is a fractured culture anyway or where there are tensions or there's invalidation um, then those will compound any issues that people might be facing um, because uh, any normal issues Mm. Uh, a normal issue though isn't necessarily normal I'm thinking if you have the experience of watching somebody die um, that is really difficult um, even if that is something that you are familiar with. Mm. And um, what makes a difference is the context around, in addition to your own kind of beliefs or experiences. Mm-hmm. And for people who are listening who still have anxiety and everything, what is your message out? Or um, advice? So anxiety, do you think generally, Tishni, or do you After think about... Because of lockdown and COVID. I would say it's really important to to reach out and talk. Um, In the first instance, many people talk to their GP Mm. or um, friends or reach out to kind of organizations. Um, uh, We have a number, uh, 7373, I think, is the number that um, people can text uh, to talk to a counsellor at any time of day and it's really important to kind of reach out and help is available. Mm. Um, I think some of the frustration is because it's hard to access help that is that is true but there still is help very available. Yeah. Um, so implicit in that I think is the idea that um, how one feels right now is not a reflection of how Um, one might feel even in 24 hours feelings kind of come and go and even though things might feel very dire 
now and all-consuming now, that is not an accurate reflection of how things will be. Yeah. In a psychological sense, why do you think people around the world are still denying that COVID is happening? <laughs> like it's a thing. And when there's people dying hmm. and like, why Why do you think that? I think at its... Um, there's various kind of ideas. The truth is I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I would say that it is very difficult mm-hmm. um, psychologically to face our own mortality. So there's a right. there's an old theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of psychology's grand theories is terror management theory. Um, and it is about how we as humans are conscious of our own death, right. our, um, our mortality. And to and that fills us with great alarm. And to guard against this, we have a number of um, things we do, such as developing a worldview that we think has meaning and sense, and it's arbitrary. Mm-hmm. But by believing in this worldview, by following whatever we are supposed to follow, we develop self-esteem and also a buffer against mortality. So to guard against um, Mortality, the mm-hmm. fear of your own mortality. Mm-hmm. People can do all sorts of elaborate things, mm-hmm. such as denying what is what is there, yeah. because the terror yeah. of that is too huge. Yeah. And I know you have three kids. How was how was lockdown for you? Um, it was for. I feel really lucky. Mm-hmm. I feel like for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we were very lucky to actually be able to spend time um, with with our family and to um, to do things uh, with the kids. And because there's three, they uh, they were able to play together. Yeah, I think um, for people with one child, for example, yeah. that's very difficult of keeping one child And how did you explain to them what was happening because they're small? So, Um, The schools Mm. had actually done a really amazing job and made a, we would call it a social story. That Mm -hmm. is a story that tries to explain and give understanding Mm -hmm. um, about something that is happening. So the schools had done a really good job about talking about this naughty bug Mm. that had come. And because this bug was there and could make people ill, these were the things we would need to do to um, keep safe. Mm -hmm. And so um, I guess uh, we're also lucky that we have very young kids Mm -hmm. who take things at at face value. Um, But um, I think that uh, children are we sponges and um, absorb what is around them. And so um, I guess we were in the lucky position. I was in the lucky position of being able to work, for example, and know that um, life will continue and be good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it was easier for me to be calm and yeah. um, uh, you know, which helped the children. Yeah. And that is it. <laughs> uh, those are my questions for you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so for much for having me here. It was so interesting <laughs> to hear from a psychological perspective on 
um, mental health and everything. So thank you You're again. You're so welcome. And thank you guys for listening in to the uh, second last episode of Thoughts and Talks with Tishni. Uh, tune in next week to hear the last. And for now, goodbye. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.